If you would open up your Bibles to Lesson 57, I'm going to try to finish that lesson, and then we'll see how far we get in Lesson number 58, but I don't plan to get through Lesson 58. We will probably just get to the parable of the wheat and tares. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for this uh, day that you have given to us. Thank you that spring is in the air, how it reminds us of, of new life that we can have available in your son, Jesus Christ, who was resurrected from the dead on the third day, and how we just thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the um, privilege that we have to be sowers of the seed, the precious word of God and may we be faithful to do that now Lord I just pray that you would give me clarity of mind and speech and that you would help us to be hearers of your word help us to put all the other thoughts that we have to do the clutter of our lives that we might be thinking about the things we have to do the rest of this day and focus on what your Holy Spirit has to teach us through the word of God for we pray in Christ's blessed name amen the famous parable about the seed and the sower and the four soil types, which is given in all three of the synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is the only one of the mystery kingdom parables, which is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, is a parable about the various ways in which the word of God is received. We began our look at this first mystery kingdom parable last week when we learned that the seed is what? the word of God or the word of the kingdom, the word of God, as it is said in Luke eight eleven. Now this, this parable is found in Matthew 13 verses one to 23. It's also found in the parallel passages in Mark four verses one to 29. And also it is found in Luke eight verses four to 15. This same parable of the sower and the seed. So we found out that the seed is the word of God, according to Luke 8, 11. The sower is the son of man. We have to actually look at the next parable, the parable of the wheat and tares, to find that out. And that is found in Matthew 13, 37, that the sower is the son of man, or Jesus Christ, and of course, all his co-laborers who also sow the gospel message. And then the soils speak of what? Hearts, the, the human hearts of men. And you can look at Matthew 13, 19 to see that. And also over in Luke 8, 12. So the soil speak of the hearts of men. Now, the responses to the proclaimed or the broadcasted, the sown word of God, depends on the condition of the human heart, not the composition of of the heart. Remember how we talked about the fact that all soil consists of the same composition. It's dirt, basically. <laughs> so it depends not on the composition of the soil, but on the condition of, of the heart, the soil. The good response is the only one of the four stated responses that the parable teaches, among other things, the parable teaches that, so through this, that, that there's only one good response, the parable teaches that most people, most people do not receive the word of God. They don't receive it. They might look like they receive it. Some of these soil types look like they receive it, but they don't really receive it uh, where it lasts. It's a, it's a false profession. 
And I know 14 years ago I talked about how 75% of the world, because there's four types and there's only one good, so there would be 25% of the world receives the word of God, 75% rejects it. And then I got to thinking that really was not correct. Because I think about 75% of the world is, has the first kind of heart. And, and we'll discuss this. I mean, where it doesn't even penetrate. If you think of the whole world, many people are involved in false religions and all kinds of other philosophies and thinking. And so the, the seed of the word of God just stays up on the surface. So for me to have said that 75% of the world doesn't accept the gospel and 25% does is wrong. It's probably way less than that. Remember, he said few enter in through the straight gate. Very, very small percentage that has good soil. But the crop makes up the difference because the good soil can produce how much? 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold. All right, we'll talk more about that. But if you miss that message, I, I can't review or we'll never get through. As we get into this lesson today, we're gonna, we never did interpret it. We just talked basically about the parable. Today we're going to interpret it. But in case I forget to say this, I want to uh, do this up front because I might forget to tell you. The first type of seed sown on the roadway soil is stolen by Satan. We'll talk about that, but I just want you to get this basic picture. We have three enemies in this world, don't we? Satan, self, and the world. Satan, self, or the flesh, and the world. The first type of seed, I mean the first soil, has the seed stolen by Satan. The second soil, which is the rocky soil, is starved by self. And the third is strangled by the world. But the fourth is surrendered to the Savior. Those aren't in your notes, I don't think, so I'll give them to you again. The first soil has the seed stolen by Satan. The second is starved by self. The third is strangled by the world. There's our three enemies, Satan, self, and the world. And the fourth, the good, ready soil, is surrendered to the Savior. All right, the, the purpose, remember, of these parables of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, is to give us the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's in verse 11 of chapter 13. These parables were given to teach truth concerning the kingdom program of God on earth between the time of Christ's rejection at the cross, when he was rejected by Israel, and the time of his return at the second coming. Not the rapture part of the return, but the end of the seven years of tribulation when he will, you know, the second part of the second coming when Israel will finally acknowledge and accept him as her king and then the direct, literal, messianic 1,000-year kingdom of God will be established. So these mystery kingdom parables talk about the time between the uh, rejection of the Lord and his return. And we happen to live within that time frame, don't we? In the church age, we are included in that period of time. And he's giving us the characteristic of this period of time, when the good will live right alongside of the evil. And how does this kingdom begin? With the sowing of the seed, the sowing of the gospel message. 
As a result of Israel's rejection of her king, of Jesus Christ, the Messianic kingdom had to be postponed, didn't it? We talked about that. And a new form of the Lord's indirect mediatorial kingdom on earth was established. Now, that new form was not known by the Old Testament prophets. There was a hint of it given here and there, but they didn't know. It was really a mystery. They did not know about it. That new form is described by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 13, how it begins and the responsibility of its citizens is given in the first parable, the parable of the sower sowing seed. Now, last week we discussed how the Lord taught about this mystery form of the kingdom in parables. And we discussed why he spoke these parables in parables. So I don't want to review that, but we uh, took some time to do that. And then we took a look at the four soil types upon which the sower seed was sown. All right, here they are. The roadway, the rocky, the reprobate, and the ready soils. The first one, there was no penetration. Here's another little way to remember it. These all start with P's. The first one, the roadway soil, there was no penetration. Remember? It couldn't. It, it, it landed on the pathways between the farmer's fields where feet had trampled down the soil, so it was almost like pavement. So the first, the roadway soil had no penetration. The rocky soil, because there was an underlying bedrock of probably limestone right under just a thin layer of soil, the seed had no permanence because the roots couldn't get past that rock bed of limestone. So the first type, no penetration. The second type, no permanence. They shot up the stems. The the plants would grow up real fast, but what happened when the sun came up? They wilted and died away, so there was no permanence in them. Do we see people like that? Oh, yes, all too frequently. The third type, the reprobate soil, which was full of weeds and thorns, had no preeminence. The word did not have preeminence. There were too many other things going on to choke it out. And the fourth type was, praise the Lord, productive. All right, now we're going to get into the interpretation of these soil types with regard to human hearts. So let's look at the roadway soil. And for this, I'm going to read verse 4 just to review what it was. And then we'll look at the interpretation in verse 19. Boy, you're doing a lot of page turning. What's going on down there? You're trying to find... You'll never find where... (laughs) All right. Let's look at Matthew 13, verse 4, where Jesus said... All right, in verse 3, I'll back up. He said, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And here he talks now about the first type of soil, the roadway soil. It says, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now, for the interpretation which he gave to his disciples, let's look over at verse 19. He says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, that tells us what the seed was, the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, who's also called the devil over in Luke 8, and Satan in Matthew 4, the parallel account. So he's called the wicked one, the devil, and Satan. Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his, what? Heart. So we know the soil speaks of hearts. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Okay, this is what we could call hard-hearted soil. We have hard-hearted soil, soft-hearted soil, half-hearted soil, and whole-hearted soil. There's so many different ways you could teach these parables. I mean, it's just amazing. The more I studied, the more I thought, boy, you could have a hundred different outlines on it. 
All right, this is the hard-hearted soil. Jesus says that the firmly packed roadway soil symbolizes the individual who hears the word of the kingdom but doesn't understand it. Why doesn't he understand it? Well, it's not because of the seed. There is no deficiency in the seed. It's good seed. It's because of his own hardened heart that he doesn't understand it. This soil type refers to the stiff-necked, uninterested person who has no time and no interest whatsoever in spiritual matters concerning Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures. The word always remains up on the surface um, of the heart of this person. It never does what? Penetrates. It never penetrates. His heart is impervious to any penetration. He doesn't permit the word of God to even begin to make a penetration into his heart. He doesn't even try to consider it. But he only looks on it, you know, pridefully as as foolishness. That the word of God is just foolishness. You know, it's it's for those people who need a crutch in life. Um, or they just out and out say it's it's error. It's the error of a false religion or its mythology. And this is why I said, you know, probably 75, 80% of the world is this type of person. Because, they're, you know, anyone who's in a false religion and, and steeped in their false religion or cult is this type of person. They don't even let the gospel message penetrate. Because the seed can make no penetration into the soil of the heart, the seed of God's word, which is sown his way, is quickly snatched up by who? By Satan, the wicked one. Or, you know, one of Satan's realm, represented by the foul. The foul mentioned there in verse 4 speak of, of Satan's emissaries, his, his fallen angels. This man's lack of humility, he has no poverty of spirit, and his lack of repentance and his lack of guilt has hardened him from God's grace, leaving him exposed openly to the attacks and the deceits of Satan, who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this speaks of the first type, which is stolen by Satan. Let me read what um, John MacArthur says here about this real quickly. He says, the evil one uses many means as he snatches away what has been sown. Luke adds that some seed was trampled under the feet of those who walk the hard path. This is, it reminds me of, you know, casting our pearls before swine, and what do they do? They take it and they rend it and they trample it under feet, under their feet. He says, Satan uses false teachers who promote spiritual lies and contradict God's truth. Those false teachers are some of the foul, you know, that come down and snatch the seed. He uses fear of what other people might think about a person becoming a Christian. Do a lot of people get, the seed gets snatched away because of the fear of man? Or what will my relatives think? Or what will my friends think? Satan constantly uses pride to blind people to their sinful condition and need of salvation. He makes them believe that they really are not so bad. Or that if they do need improvement, they can improve themselves. He uses doubt. He uses prejudice, stubbornness, procrastination, love of the world, love of sin, and every combination of those ploys to keep a person from allowing the word of God to penetrate into their hearts. So that's a little bit of the interpretation 
of the roadway soil. Now let's look at the rocky soil. And to be reminded of this type, let's look at verses 5 and 6, first of all, where Jesus said, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. Over in Luke, it says they lacked moisture. Okay, And when the sun was up and they lacked moisture, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now let's look at the Lord's interpretation in verses 20 and 21. He says, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth, what? The word, and anon, which means immediately, with joy, receiveth it. This is the soft-hearted person. Problem is, he's too soft-hearted. Yet, yet hath he not root in himself. Remember, I said this is the one that is starved by self. The root is not in himself, but dureth or endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution, and Mark says, or affliction ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended or scandalized. All right. The second type of soil represents the individual who hears the word of God and rather readily accepts it. Have you ever seen people like this? Almost immediately or even maybe immediately. Now, I was this type of person, but fortunately I, I had root. <laughs> but the first time I ever heard the, a clear presentation of the gospel, I received it anon with joy. The first time. Uh, this person doesn't offer any resistance. You know, like uh, like the man who who did with the roadside, the roadway soil. He did offer resistance, but this person doesn't. As a matter of fact, he generally receives a gospel message with a great deal of emotion and excitement. Like I said, he's soft-hearted. You, he's the kind of guy you might see him up at the altar weeping his eyes out, all full of all sorts of emotion. Those who have rocky soil often are, however, not told or they do not listen to the parts of the word of God that tell them that they are to deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow Jesus. They don't hear or they aren't, their ears aren't listening to the part of the gospel about true repentance from uh, their sin, dying to self. They don't hear or they don't want to hear about persecution because of their faith. They don't come to full grips with all the truth behind true obedience and submission to the Lord. This rocky soil person is the shallow, superficial convert to Christianity who appears so good at first. You know, he's the kind we get so excited about. And always say, oh, this is really, this is really a great this is going to be so great she's just going to be so on fire for the lord and she's going to win so many people to christ and you know she she even looks better than the rest of us because she sprouts up so fast and why is that because um all the all the 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 little bit of moisture and nutrients that are in that thin layer of soil goes straight to the plant the stem and so it shoots up even higher than the other plants because it doesn't go down into the roots goes to the plant so she looks really good or he looks really good at first but because the soil of the heart is so shallow they have no firm root they're like the man in the parable of the empty house 
You know, they temporarily look good and clean, but all the change has only been superficial. There's been no real new birth, no spiritual birth. This person often comes to Christ with his feelings only, his emotions and his feelings only. And emotions and feelings cannot change the soul by giving new life within. They only give a temporary uh, good feeling or or a temporary appearance of change. The problem with this person lies unseen. You know, we can't see down underneath the soil, can we? We can't see that hidden um, rock bed. So the problem with this person lies unseen for underneath is this stony blockage where there is no true repentance, no true mournfulness over their sin, no real brokenness and uh, poverty of spirit, humility, and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This person has what we call a religious experience, but he has not had a real rebirth. And how do we know this? Well, we may not know it for quite a while, but when do we know it? When does it become apparent to us? Exactly. When tribulations or persecutions or afflictions come his way because of the word, it says, because of the word, his claim to be a Christian. You know, somebody might come to to her and say, "Uh, well, now that you're a Christian, why don't you come to Tuesday morning ladies' Bible study? Oh, you mean I got to do something (laughs) about my Christianity? It's just not all fun and games and feelings? Or, uh, um, you know, now that you're a Christian, let's go out witnessing or sowing the seed or... Or, you know, any kind of trial that comes into his life, persecution, because maybe his family starts to reject him because he says he's a Christian. And then all of a sudden, this person will show their true colors. He will not be willing to persevere suffering for something he really does not believe in. Right? Deep down. And when he's faced with the high cost of discipleship, he's not willing to pay the price. He's like the one who builds his house on the sand. Except it's funny, here it's on, you know, a rock, (laughs) a rocky hidden underneath. But the Lord uses so many different ways. I mean, you know, we can be shepherds, but we're also sheep. So it's just interesting. It's here on a rock bed, but also just like the person who builds his house on sand, this person with the, the rocky soil has built his life on the sands of his emotions. But when the storms came, what happened? His house fell. Because emotions alone are not a sufficient enough foundation. We need to come to Jesus with our emotions, yes, of course, but also with a repentant heart and understanding our spiritual bankruptcy. You know, that apart from him, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We need to be humble. We have have to have a humble mind and heart and a submissive mind and heart, realizing that following him is not going to be an easy road. Remember how we talked about the fact that the narrow road is not easy. But it is well worth traveling. It is one well worth traveling because the end leads to life, to glory, to the eternal kingdom. Again, let me read a little bit of something that John MacArthur says. Page 358. He says, Sometimes shallow acceptance of the gospel is encouraged by shallow evangelism that holds out the blessings of salvation but hides the costs, such as repentance from sin, dying to self, and turning from the old life. Do we have a lot of preaching like that going on? Just come to Jesus, and uh, he can do so much for you. You never hear about what you need to do for him. 
And about dying to self, you don't hear about sin. And it's getting more and more prevalent. So that's a cause of a lot of this rocky soil type of people. They don't hear the truth. When people are encouraged to walk down the aisle, raise their hand, or sign a card without coming to grips with the full claims of Christ, they are in great danger of becoming further from Christ than they were before they heard the message. They may become insulated from true salvation by a false profession of faith. That's what's so scary. So many young people who think they're a Christian because maybe they were six, seven years old and they went forward or they signed a card or so. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven and, you know, and it's a false profession in all their lives. They think they're a Christian when they really aren't. That is the danger of it. He says, if a person's profession of Christ does not involve a deep conviction of sin, a genuine sense of lostness, a strong desire for the Lord to cleanse and purify, a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness, and a love of his word, along with genuine willingness to suffer for his sake, there is no root to his spiritual life, and it will only be a matter of time before his religious house falls. So this, uh, these parables warn us to be um, very discerning. Be very discerning. When, when you talk to somebody, and maybe they even pray the sinner's prayer, sometimes we really need to wait and wait a while to see if it really takes root before we just say, okay, if you're a believer now, you know, you'll never, you never have to worry about going to hell. It takes time to see if that root really is going to take. And I hate to, I look back and I think I probably encourage some of that false profession out there in my past. All right, the reprobate soil. Let's look at verse 7. It says, And some, some of the seed, fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. All right, this is the one that is choked out by the world, the third enemy. We've had the enemy of Satan, the enemy of self, and now the enemy of the world. For his interpretation, let's look at verse 22, where the Lord said, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and over in Mark it tells us, and the lusts of other things choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. There's no preeminence here. This third type of human heart is represented by the reprobate soil, what we're calling the reprobate soil. A reprobate is one who gives in, you know, to sin, fully to sin. The soil which is full of what? Thorns. We could throw in weeds. This symbolizes the person who is just too worldly for the seed of the word of God to really take root and grow in his heart. The word, of, the word uh, or Christianity, we could say, is just sort of added on, but not allowed to replace the world. People do this. They'll, they'll listen to the gospel. They say, yeah, that sounds good. And they just add it on to, you know, to everything else. And they don't understand that you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters, but they try to. But really, they're still serving mammon. They're still serving this world. This person hears the gospel and may even make a profession of faith, but his first real love is for the things of this world. His eyes are not set on things above. 
He's not laying up for himself treasures in heaven where they really count, but he's fo- his focus on things below. He's really not interested at all in building up treasure in heaven, but he's very much interested on what he can see and hear and enjoy right here on this earth. His worry... Doesn't that remind you when it says choke out, the thorns choke out? Remember we found out that the word worry comes from the Germans, and it actually means to choke? Now, this person is worried and concerned for the things of this world, whether he has them or not. We, we talked about how some people who don't have things still worry a lot, even maybe more than people who do have, because they're worried about what they don't have. <laughs> so his worry and his concern... For the things of this world actually blind him to the real significance of the gospel and bind him to the physical temporary things instead. He just loves too much the riches and the prestige and the position and the popularity, the power this world has to, has, uh, to deceive him with, all the thorns. Or he worries too much about what he, what he has, you know, how to maintain it and how to keep it or what he doesn't have. He spends all his time trying to keep up with the Joneses next door. And this is one of the greatest barriers there is to true saving faith that we especially have in this country, in the United States of abundance. Paul warned us that the love of what is the root of all evil? The love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. And that because of this love, some have even wandered away from the chance of having true faith and have consequently pierced themselves with many a pang. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. And I thought of that piercing sounds just like thorns, doesn't it? Riches are like thorns. They can pierce us with many a pang. John warned us not to love the world nor the things in the world because if anyone does, it's evident that he doesn't really love the Father and the Father is not in him. As I said, no man can serve two masters. Be a bondservant to two masters. We cannot serve both God and materialism. So the weeds of this world and the thorns of earthly treasures choke out the word, the word of God, the seed, the good seed. And this person is unfruitful. No fruit. Jesus said that we shall know them by their, by their fruit. James said that, without faith, uh, that faith without fruit or faith without works is what? Dead faith. One more time, let me read from John MacArthur because he just has a way of saying things better than I do. He says, A professing believer who is unconcerned about sin in his life and does not hate evil and love righteousness gives strong evidence that the soil of his heart is weedy or thorny. He will eventually discover that his love of the world and his identification with Christ's word cannot coexist. If his faith is genuine, he will forsake the world. If it is not, his sin will choke out what knowledge of the word he does have. A person who comes to church but never becomes committed to serving, who is continually preoccupied with career, money, fashion, sports, and everything but the Lord's work, is a person with a weed-infested heart. The person who refuses to let go of his worldliness is a person in whom the seed of God's saving gospel has not found root and is in danger of being choked out altogether. And we do know, sadly, we know lots of people like that as well. But thank the Lord 
there is a type of soil that is good, ready soil. Let's look at that. First of all, verse 8, the ready soil, where Jesus said, verse 8, but other, meaning other seed, fell into good ground and brought forth some uh, and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then he goes on and says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now the interpretation for this ready soil is given in verse twenty three. Where it says, but he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the one that has production. Yay. The fourth and final patch of ground upon which the seed lands is good soil, meaning that it has been properly conditioned. It's ready to receive the gospel because it has been rightly prepared by who? God, the Holy Spirit. This one hears and he understands because he wants to understand. He's not unwillfully believe, unbelieving. Not, not willfully unbelieving. I knew that was a double negative. Uh, but is willing, he's willing to accept Jesus Christ on his terms. On Christ's terms, not on his own selfish or worldly terms. Because he understands his poverty of spirit. Remember, that's where it all starts in the first beatitude. We have to be uh, poor in spirit because he understands his poverty of spirit. You know, maybe he's tried all different ways. And he finally came to, has come to the realization that on his own, he just can't fill that empty void within him. And that there's no way he can, he can work his way to heaven. So he, um, he understands his poverty of spirit. And because of this, God opens his ears to understand, to really hear. God gives him the grace to believe in faith and the grace to truly desire to serve obediently the one who died for him to pay for his sins. The ultimate mark of true saving faith is what? Bearing bearing fruit. The ultimate mark of true saving faith is in the fruit bearing. Jesus says not only does this readied soil person hear and understand, but he also bears fruit. He begins to evidence the fruit of the Spirit, for example. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He also bears fruit because he begins to use his God-given spiritual gifts and talents to serve his Savior. Fruit is the spiritual reality produced by God in the lives of those who truly belong to him. And according to Jesus, it looks like even the most unproductive Christian still produces 30-fold fruit. (laughs) That's pretty neat to consider, isn't it? 30-fold fruit. Fruit is the spiritual reality of the life of a true Christian, one who has ready, good soil. Jesus assures the true believer that he can bear much fruit. He can't. We can all bear much fruit. A hundredfold. It just depends on our willingness, how much we want to bear. He wants his own to realize the, uh, the great productivity that he gives to them when they are real and when they are obedient to him. That's the whole key is just the obedience, you know, in sowing the seed. It's not, it's not based on the talent of the sower. It's just based on the, the seed. The power is in the seed, isn't it? 
The word of God is where the life is. It's quick and powerful. And it's based on the condition of the soil, but not on the talent of the sower. A little boy can be following beside his father who's sowing seed, and he can, the little boy can grab handfuls of seed and broadcast them just as much as his daddy. Now, he might not do quite as well of a job, but he can still bear fruit, maybe 30-fold. Now, it is kind of tough if you only throw out one seed once a year. That's pretty hard to produce 30-fold fruit, isn't it? Our job, our, it's not up to the talent of the sower. It really it has nothing to do with us. It just has to do with the seed. And we need to be out there broadcasting the seed, sowing the seed through gospel tracts, through, through giving out Bibles, just telling other people how we got saved and what the Lord means to us. However, but that's what we need to be all about is obedience, being sowers of the seed. All right, the kingdom will be a time then. So the Lord taught through this parable of the, of the um, actually it's a parable of the soil types more than we call it the sower, but it's really a parable of the four soil types. He taught through this parable that when the main what, that the main purpose of his followers is to be sowing the seed of the word of God and and to consequently in doing that bear fruit. He definitely doesn't tell us that the church is going to win the world. He doesn't tell us that Christianity is ever going to win the whole world in this parable, does he? Yeah, be, be doing well to get a fourth, like I said, you know, 25%. That would be a really good, that'd be really good production. But I don't think that's even what this is teaching at all. I, I'm th- I think it's teaching that very few are going to have ready soil. In, this, in the parable, we find only one out of four soil types produce fruit. But I think many in the world, like I said, a great percentage are even just that first soil type. So what he was doing here is really he was um, forewarning his disciples. They're the only ones who heard the interpretation of this, by the way, those who were his true followers. And he's forewarning you and I about this low percentage rate so that we wouldn't lose heart, that we wouldn't get discouraged about the fact that most people will not be receptive to the seed of God's word. And that helps me, doesn't it? When you read this and and realize, you know, well, God said this is the way it would be, so I don't need to get discouraged that, you know, how many women are out there in Sanford in in the Sandhills that could be attending this Bible study? Hundreds and thousands. But I shouldn't be discouraged because, I mean, we just have so few of us, right? That's what God said it would be. Not most of them out there, if we invited them, wouldn't even penetrate. I say, you got to be kidding. i got better things to do on Tuesday morning than come to a ladies' Bible study. you got to be kidding. <laughs> and some have come, and they looked really good at first. We got so excited about them because, oh, they were all going to be gung-ho and fizzled away. And then there were others, you know, the, the, the concerns of this world have choked them out, and they've disappeared. But over the 20 years, we've got a good, faithful soil in here, and many of you are producing 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And I think, wow, I'm not discouraged. I'm really encouraged. We've got in this room the cream of the crop. (laughs) We really do. We really do. And I I thank the Lord for you all, all the time. But so he he spoke this parable so they wouldn't get discouraged, number one. He he wanted us to know that uh, we are not to feel responsible to produce the seed or the soil, or the fruit. 
in others. That's not our responsibility. Aren't you glad we don't have to produce the seed? (laughs) Number one, um, because we couldn't. And the soil is not our concern, and the fruit in others is not our concern. We cannot affect those things. Our only responsibility is to faithfully, steadfastly, consistently sow the seed as far and as often as we possibly can. The rest is up to the Lord of the harvest, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit. So I also want you, in closing this first parable, to make sure you examine your own heart and see if you can determine your own heart condition. That is very important, that we each make sure that we really are the ready soil type and that the seed has been implanted in the the wholeheartedness of our soil and that we do not let the rocks and the thorns and the cares of this world choke us out and that we truly are born again. So we need to each examine our own heart condition. And secondly, if, we, if you are a true Christian, if you've settled that and you understand truly that you have been born again, then I ask, are you scattering the seed everywhere you possibly can and whenever you possibly can? God will take even your smallest efforts at being obedient to his call, and he will multiply them above and beyond all that you could possibly think or imagine. I know I always think of the little boy who offered the Lord his lunch. It wasn't much of a lunch, especially in our day and age. That wouldn't be too much. What is it? Two two fish and five loaves or five loaves and two? Whatever it was, it wasn't much of a lunch. But he gave it to the Lord, and wow, did the Lord multiply it. And I pray that prayer a lot. I say, Lord, take my little bitty lunch and please multiply it. Please multiply it. So let's be faithful to do that.